Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Most important, okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, Lord, your word. It is a wonderful word. We know it came right from your lips. We know we live by it. And so we pray that you would open it to us as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis 25, verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 103 score and 15 years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered unto his people. All right, now, so here we have, in our last study, we came to the end of Abraham's life, this verse. And Abraham gave up the ghost, it's described. He died in a good old age. He was an old man. He was full of years. He was gathered to his people. And we saw in the statement, as we looked at it last time, was that it's where it says, then Abraham gave up the ghost, how Abraham gave back to God, the breath that God, that he had borrowed from God. And, and while he was here on earth, he just gave it back up to God. And, and that's what we're gonna do when we die. We're gonna give back the life that we had here on earth. And, and next we saw that how when Abraham died, it says that he was a good old age, an old man. Well, we know he was 175 years old. We should only live so long. Or maybe we should not live so long. <laughs> anyway, and then it says in verse 8 that he was gathered to his people, and we're going to be gathered to our people. See, that's an interesting phrase in the Bible, gathered to his people, because well, this is the first time this is used here in, in about Abraham when it says he was gathered to his people. But it's going to say in Genesis 35, 29, the same thing about Isaac. It's going to say Isaac was, gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. It's gonna say that about Jacob at the end of this book, Genesis 49, 33. It's gonna say Jacob made an end of commanding his sons. He gathered up his feet into his bed. He yielded up the ghost, was gathered to his people. It's gonna say that about uh, Moses. It's gonna say that about Aaron, both in Deuteronomy 32, 50, where God says to Moses, die in the mount whither thou goest up and be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother died in Mount Hor, was gathered unto his people. So the way that phrase is written in such a simple, matter-of-fact way, gathered unto his people, it, it shows an obvious sequence of events. It's sending the message that Abraham, he just, it was no big deal. Abraham went from his people on earth, he went from his people on earth to his people in heaven. And the matter of fact way that it's saying that, gathering unto his people, is saying that the man was 175 years old, and so just like the song goes, circle on earth of his friends, of his people, circle of his people on earth was getting smaller and smaller, and the circle of his people in heaven was getting larger and larger, so it was logical for him to go from this, this circle to that circle, but all the while, gathered to his people. Gathered to his people is a phrase that's going to be used to describe, that, that is used to describe what happens after death. And that brings that begs the question, who are our people? Who are our people? I mean, we're going to be gathered to our people, so who are they? And that's the question the Lord Jesus Christ was challenged with when he, about who his family was, and then he responded in Matthew 12, 47 through 50, when he said, then said, then one said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. 
But he answered and said unto them that told him, who's my mother? Who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. So much for the mother of God. Anyway, with that person, he, he was saying that, look, behold, thy mother, my mother, and my brethren stand without. They said, look, they're standing outside. And he says, and then he says, he, and so in other words, that person was saying, you know who's standing outside? Your people. Behold, your people are standing outside. But the Lord Jesus Christ took that opportunity to say, no, no, my people, my brother, my sister, my mother, they're the ones that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And what he's saying is that my people are those that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And that's true of us. Who are our people? Are our people our flesh and blood? Is blood thicker than water? Well, for us, if flesh and blood are doing the will of God the Father, then they're our people. So if our flesh and blood are not doing the will of God the Father, then our flesh and blood are not part of our people. And for some of us, like me, that's the case that blood is not thicker than water. So what unites us to our people is not our blood, it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what makes a person one of our people is if that person has applied the blood of the Lord to the doorpost of his heart. That's what makes a person one of our people. He's saved by the blood of the Lamb. So who are our people that we're gonna be gathered together with? Just people at the chapel or, or brethren, the brethren people or Baptists? That reminds me of a person, maybe you heard this, he first went to heaven and he was passing by this room and the guide said to him, keep quiet because that room was where all the Baptists are and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> so, so, but David answers the question, who our people are. When he said in Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all of them that fear thee and that keep thy precepts. See, he says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and keep thy precepts. That's the same thing as the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, 50, whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. See, denominations mean nothing as to who our people are. Our people are those who do the will of our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ said that his will was and is in John 6, 40, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Everyone who sees the Lord Jesus Christ as God the Son, Everyone who puts their trust in him and his death and resurrection to be saved from their sins and to have eternal life, it's our people, no matter what church denomination they're in. And those are the people that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Aaron will all gather to. Those are our people. We're gonna be gathered to them. Now, when Abraham's life is looked back on from this verse eight here as a whole, there's a very interesting word that's used to describe the whole of his life. And the word is translated in the English, full. It says that. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. Now, if you're using the King James, you'll notice that, that the words of years is in italics. And what that means is that it's not in the original Hebrew. It was, they, they knew it wasn't in the original Hebrew. It's not in the original Hebrew. And so therefore, they put of years in italics. That's what they did. They put it that way. They put it in italics. See? So really, it says, when I read it, it says, and Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man, and full. 
So you forget the of years part. And was gathered to his people. So that leads us to ask the question, well, what does that word mean, full? Well, that's the Hebrew word savia, savia. And, and here it's used full to describe Abraham's life. It's also used in other parts of the Bible. For example, in Proverbs 19, 23, it says, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied, savia. He shall not be visited with fear of evil. See, So this verse is telling us that the fear of the Lord is tending toward life, which means that if a person has the fear of the Lord, he'll obey the Lord. When the Lord Jesus commands him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll do it, and then God will give him eternal life, so he's tending toward life. But then the verse says that that person will abide or stay severe, see, satisfied. In another place, it's used in Jeremiah 31, 14, where God said, I'll satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people will be satisfied, Savia, with the good, with my goodness, saith the Lord. See, and there is this verse, he's going to satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and his people would be satisfied, Savia, uh, with God's goodness. In other words, just like fat satisfies the body from stomach emptiness, so the Lord's goodness would satisfy the soul from emptiness, see? Fat does that, see, like chicken liver. Chicken liver is pasty, and it's not good to eat, chicken liver. (laughs) But if you add a little chicken fat, otherwise known as schmaltz, if you add a little with with a little bit of schmaltz, with a little bit of schmaltz, anyway, you have something very good to eat, which is chopped liver. And I remember in diet class over at Grossmont Hospital, our, our instructor's name was Candy. Can you imagine that? Diet class, instructor's name is Candy. <laughs> and anyway, Candy would, she was very good. But anyway, Candy would bring out this plate, big plate, with a tiny piece of, of uh, cheesecake on it, see? And then she'd bring out a platter with this large mound of fruit. And she'd tell us, now both of these plates have the same number of calories. And she said, which one would you like? And I thought, the cheesecake, of course, because that satisfies. <laughs> so the word Sevilla here means satisfied. And, and in verse 8, it, it, it says that Abraham died and, and, and then was Sevilla. He was satisfied or fulfilled. It's quite a statement. It's quite a statement when you think about it. He died a satisfied and a fulfilled man. I mean, apart from God, what do people say will make them satisfied and fulfilled at the end of their life? Well, some say, you know, if I can just amass a lot of money or a lot of possession at the end of my life, that would make me a satisfied and a fulfilled person. I'd be a happy camper. But it does not, because the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 2.15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So when the Lord said that a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses, by life, he's referring to satisfaction and fulfillment. I mean, we live in a country that's just intoxicated, it's overwhelmed with materialism. And then the Lord went on to explain what he meant when he said this, a man's life consists not in the abundance of things he possesses. And he goes on, and he says in Luke 12, 16 through 24, he says he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully, and he, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my, good, my fruits. And he said, oh, this I'll do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine eyes, eat, drink, be merry. 
But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he which layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? So question is, what was wrong with the thinking of the rich man? It was a statement in verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. See, the problem was when he said that he had many years. See, he, may, he assumed he had many years. You got a lot of goods laid up for many years. So he assumes that he has many years. I mean, he saw this world as, as really the place that he had arrived in, and he didn't live his life as though at any moment he could die and stand before God. And God said to this man in verse 20, the next thing he says, but God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? See, why was the man a fool? He was a fool for two reasons. The first reason he was a fool is because he didn't live his life as though he could die that night. He wasn't living that way. He didn't live his life as though that very night his soul would be required from him. That's a sobering question for us. I mean, that man lived his life as though death would, would take everyone else by surprise, but not him. See, that, the question comes to us, how shocked, how unprepared are we if we die tonight? See, that man said, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, and drink, and be merry. See, his problem was this is the many years part. When in reality, he didn't have many years, he had one day. And he, but he lived his life as though he had many years, and that's the first reason the man was a fool. The second reason the man was a fool was because, because the Lord said to him, who shall those things be with thou as provided? He was a fool because he looked at the things and he said, now these are mine. These are permanently mine. I own these things. They're never gonna be anybody else's but mine. And the Lord said, no, no, no. Who is this? Is it, they will be somebody else's. Whose will they be? And with that which thou hast provided. See, his hand was too tightly gripping his possessions. And so, he, and what's wrong? He said, thou hast much goods. See, he was a fool because he didn't see that, that, that what he had was, he was only the temporary custodian of what he had. And, and, and that after he left, all those things were gonna be owed by somebody else because his grip was so tight or what he had, and he saw all those things he's owned by him, and so he said, look, I'm free to do whatever I want with this because, because I own it, so I'm gonna use it for eating and drinking and being married, see? And, and, and because he was thinking, why not? I own all these possessions. Why can't I do with them with what I want? He didn't see that God had loaned all those things to him for the short time that he was here on earth, and he was accountable to God with what he had from God, and it was, it was only a loan to him from God, and then he had to give account to God as to what he did with it. See, King Solomon, he understood this at the offering of the temple, when he dedicated the temple. I mean, here was King Solomon. He was the richest man on earth, but he had the right perspective on possessions, and he said in First Chronicles 29, 14, he says, but who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. See, what Solomon is saying here is he's saying, he's saying, he's saying we can't give God anything because it all belongs to him in the first place. 
but he, he can bless us when we give, and he will bless us. It's important, therefore, he's saying, to be generous with God and give him back what's, what's already his anyways. Now, I'm sure the Solomon had in mind, how, how, how did the Jewish people get all their initial wealth in the first place when they left Egypt? And God took it from the Egyptians and gave it to the Jewish people. And we read about that in Exodus 3.22, where it says, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. Women are very good at this. And, and I've heard that sojourneth her their house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and you shall put them upon your sons, upon your daughters, you shall spoil the Egyptians. Now you might say, that doesn't sound fair. That just doesn't sound fair. Well, from a horizontal point of view, it was fair. Because the Jewish people were just collecting their back wages. They built a lot of pyramids, so, you know, <laughs> a lot was owed to them for those pyramids. But, and, but from a vertical point of view, it was fair because God owned everything that was in Egypt. And if he decided to take what is his and give it to the departing Jewish people, that's fair. So, so we've seen that the abundance of things is not able to satisfy because there's always this haunting thought that I might die and then I won't have these things. So what do I do to keep myself from being attached to these things? Uh, I, what I do is I keep in mind, I'm putting this together for somebody else. And one of the things I do, I label things so someone else can use it. Even my refrigerator, I label containers. Now, I know what's in those containers, but I label them. And Clint makes fun of me for this. He, he says, I put clearly marked labels on things, you know. When I put one of those clearly marked labels on a bottle, I think to myself, now if I die tonight, the next person, he needs to use this, not just throw it away. Like yesterday, I made some very good lemon garlic cream sauce, and I put a big label on it, lemon garlic cream sauce. Well, I knew it was lemon garlic cream sauce. I made it, and I, it was right there. But I thought, well, what if I die tonight? And then Clint comes over with the boys for Bible study tomorrow, and then he finds this, this, this thing. I don't want him to throw it out because it's very good. So he should enjoy the lemon garlic cream sauce. So I got it very clearly labeled. It's healthy for us to see ourselves as temporary residents with temporary custody of what we have. It helps us looking at our stuff and thinking, my life, my, uh, my life is good, not because of things I own. So if the things don't satisfy or bring fulfillment, what satisfies? Well, what Abraham had and what all the patriarchs had that made him satisfied is given to us in Hebrews eleven thirteen, where it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. So Abraham was satisfied in life because of what he saw and what he embraced. And Abraham saw the promises of God, and, and he saw these promises of being with God for eternity. And, and Abraham not only saw those promises, but you know, he saw them, but he embraced them. And Abraham said to himself, I'm going to God, I'm going to heaven. I'm gonna be with God forever. And that verse says that, that the saints not only saw the promises, but they embraced them. And it says, in other words, they hugged them hard, those promises, so hard that those promises persuaded them. It changed them. See, their hug on those promises was so hard, they began to make life decisions based on those promises of going to heaven. See, what life decisions would we make if we not only saw but embraced the promises of going to heaven harder? One day, well, one day we're gonna be going to heaven. One life decision is to look at our lost friends and say, I want to be with that person for, in heaven for eternity. I don't want my friend to end in hell. 
I'm terrified but for him. So I'm going to do my best to persuade him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I'm going to use all my persuasive powers to bring that person to the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing we're going to go to heaven is, is one thing, but embracing the knowledge changes us. And knowing that we're going to go to, to, to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ, it affects our minds, it affects our focus. See, it affects every part of us. See, if we just know it, it's only going to affect our knowledge. But when we embrace it, it's going to affect our heart. It's going to affect our heart. It's going to affect our will. And we're going to say to ourselves, you know, when I give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be giving an account of, of, of my one and only chance opportunity here on earth to bring the lost homes to him, lost ones home to him. That's why I got this one and only. So to embrace that knowledge, in other words, to take it from just head doctrine, head knowledge, okay, I'm going to, I have to give an account to the Lord. And then to embrace it, pull it in really hard so it just, it it, it becomes changing your heart. See, that that is to say, you know what I want to do? I want to be able to say to the Lord when I go to heaven, Lord, I want, I, let me introduce you to Jack over here. Or let, let me introduce you to Sue. And, and, and I worked hard. And you know what happened? Jack and Sue got saved. Okay? I'm happy to do that. And I had a chance and an opportunity while I was living down there on earth. And I know I had a window of opportunity. But, 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 but Lord, I was thinking about that, that I was going to have to give you an account for what I did when I was down there. And so, you know, and, and, and so, and your promise said, I was going to go to be with you forever. And I embrace that promise so hard. And so shall we ever, and, and we have to stand before the Lord. I embrace those promises so hard that it caused me to win Jack and Sue over here. And, and they're saying, see, that's satisfaction. And Abraham was satisfied in life because he knew, he embraced, he was persuaded by the promises that he was going to spend eternity with God. And then Abraham had this severe satisfaction and fulfillment in life because he knew his sins were atoned for. See, the Bible doesn't beautify Abraham. We've been studying Abraham. Abraham was presented in some pretty lousy ways. I mean, we weren't presented in a lousy way. I mean, Abraham was presented pretty lousy in some places. You know, all of his sins and his faults were there. And, and, but, but Abraham knew that God had covered his sins. And he was especially aware of this when he was on Mount Moriah, when Abraham offered up this ram in the stead of Isaac. And, 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 and the, that whole phrase, in the stead of, he got it. And, and so Abraham had severe, he had satisfaction, he had fulfillment. See, no one could be satisfied and fulfilled in life unless they know their sins are covered, sins are forgiven by God. And then Abraham had the satisfaction of fulfillment of life because he responded to God. He came to God when God called him. God called Abraham that momentous time in Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show you. And I'll make thee of thee a great nation. I'll bless thee, make thy name great. That'll be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and thee all the families of the earth should be blessed. The most important part of that is the next verse. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Those are just a few words in those verses that changed Abraham's life from having an unsatisfied, unfulfilled life to having a severe 
satisfied and fulfilled life. Those words, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. God called Abraham in verse one. He said, get thee out. He said, walk, you walk, 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 you walk, lech lecha, you walk. He said, get thee out of your country, from your people, your kindred, from your father's house to land that I'll show you. And with that invitation, the decision was all on Abraham. It was all up to Abraham to obey or not to obey. That's the question. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.